Well, now, it's the Do It Better podcast, episode 17. Here's the tease. But that rain extends to us. So it says that those of us are reigning as well. This is the time of our reign with Jesus Christ. Congratulations. Through the powerful providence of a benevolent benefactor, you've stumbled onto this delicious digital booyah base. Hosted by yours truly, hipster grandfather, David A. Holland. Here, we explore the too-good-to-be-true, poorly understood, badly neglected realities of what Jesus actually launched 2,000 years ago. A new covenant. A better covenant, based on better promises. So, check your religion at the door. Grab a beverage. Grab a Bible. Strap in. Gird your loins. This is the New and Better Podcast. Last week, we started laying a foundation for just understanding what it means to uh, rule with Christ, uh, to reign in life. That began with an overview of what it means to be a kingdom of priests or to be kings and priests. We looked at the fact that you know kings decree and priests serve, and that we are a people, based on uh, what Jesus has done in us and through us, that we are a people who have a foot in two worlds. We have a foot in two realms. We live in this material world, and yet we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Uh, he is in He is in us, and we are in Him. So that we have this amazing capacity as both material creatures with a spirit to worship and minister to God, minister before God on behalf of other people, that priestly function, and also to be the body of Jesus Christ, the King, in the earth, so we function in this reigning, ruling function simultaneously, which is precisely why the Bible refers to God's people as a kingdom of priests or kings and priests. We function in this dual role. But because we haven't been taught much about how to do that, what that looks like, uh, the, the biblical authority of, of why that's possible, we don't function in that as often or as consistently or as effectively as we could. So part of what this series is about is just finding out how to, what the implications of that are, what are the practical implications of ruling and reigning as, as a kingdom of priests. So that was last week. This week we're going to look at this, the status and timing of the king's kingdom. The kingdom of God is essentially, or the kingdom of Jesus' kingdom, is his rule, the domain that he rules, and we'll see that in, in detail. The key verse for this whole series, the overarching verse for this series, is Romans 5.17. Romans 5, uh, for if by the transgression of the one, meaning Adam, death reigned, through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So there's two reigns here basically being referred to in this passage of Scripture. First of all, there was the reign of death. And the reign of death took place from the fall, Adam's fall, until a new reign began. Uh, the reign of death ended when Jesus conquered death until a, a, a new reign uh, 
the, the old reign of death ended when the new reign of life began in Jesus Christ with his defeat of death. But that reign extends to us. So it says that those of us are reigning as well. This is the time of our reign with Jesus Christ because it says that uh, there are those who receive an abundant grace and the gift of righteousness. Well, that's us. We've been abundant recipients of, of ab abundant grace and we've received righteousness, the gift of righteousness. He who knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf that we could become the righteousness of God in him. So this is talking about us. And it says that we will reign in life, not someday in the sweet by and by, but we will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So that's the overarching, that's the overarching premise of this entire series. Now there are three, I'm going to give you basically a sneak preview of where we're going. There are three key truths that we're going to look at uh, tonight, and we're going to see them in the Word. One of them is that the kingdom of Jesus is present, the kingdom of Jesus is progressive, and the kingdom of Jesus is power advanced, or advanced by power, or through power. So, let's take a look at that. For us to understand that those three things are true about the kingdom of Jesus, we need to understand that there basically are two views of the kingdom, of Jesus' rule of the kingdom, in, in the minds of people, believers, today. One is the historic view of the kingdom, and the other is what I would call, and what many call, the classic dispensational view of the kingdom. The classic dispensational view of the kingdom says that the, that the kingdom of Jesus is not primarily a present reality. It's a future reality. That when Jesus returns to the earth and physically returns, that at that moment, the kingdom of Jesus on earth initiates. But there were some implications from that and there were a couple there were a number of implications from classic dispensationalism. And so that dispensational model of understanding God's work in history became really almost pretty much the default dominant predominant view in the evangelical world. If you grew up in a Baptist church like I did, your preaching and your teaching was probably built around dispensational assumptions. If you uh, were in an Assembly of God church. Most of the evangelical, uh, non-high church, Protestant evangelical denominations embraced dispensational thinking. Going back to the original assumptions of dispensationalism, there were, there were several implications. One uh, involved the Jews and the Jewish people. That, that it, there were essentially two tracks for salvation that with with the emergence of, of the church and in the, what the in, in the dispensational language the church age there there was a track of salvation for the gentiles through Jesus Christ but that uh, God had another track of salvation for uh, the Jewish people therefore there was no reason or motivation or even biblical appropriateness for sharing the Christian faith with Jewish people the, another fundamental aspect of the dispensational view involved the kingdom, which essentially was this, that when Jesus came, he could have reestablished the, the kingdom of David. He could have sat on the Davidic throne 
if the if the Jewish people had embraced him and accepted him as Messiah, he would have sat on the throne of David and restored the kingdom of Israel, restored the Davidic kingdom. But because they rejected them, and and God foreknew that He would reject them, there became a pause. The the, the Jesus was not enthroned as king. Therefore, it's in, in, in some dispensational uh, literature, especially the original dispensational literature, going back to the early 1800s and the early 1900s, they talk about a postponement. Uh, God had intended and could have basically made Jesus king when he came in the flesh, but because he was rejected, it ushered in the church age and postponed the kingdom of, of Jesus. The rule of Jesus became postponed to some future date, and that rule will be initiated and will begin when he returns and sits down on the throne of David in Jerusalem. Again, that has a lot of implications. Well, and what we're going to see as we go through the scripture tonight, there, there's a lot about all of that that's problematic in the light of the Pauline revelation of who Jesus is and what he did. But it's important to know that that is a dominant view. Uh, most of the TV preachers on TV today have embraced uh, dispensationalism in some form. Over the last 30 or 40 years, a lot of those key core tenets of dispensationalism have been softened. They keep rewriting the Schofield Reference Bible because they keep pulling back and softening those. There are lots of people in the charismatic world who obviously reject the dispensational assumption that the Holy Spirit doesn't do miracles or operate in power or gifts anymore. And yet, the, the underlying presuppositions of dispensationalism are still embraced, particularly where, where the view of the kingdom is concerned. The other view of the kingdom, which is, was the view for most of the, the first 1900 uh, years of the church and has still been the view in many other quarters of Christendom uh, right up into this day, is uh, the historic view. The historic view says that Jesus' rule began when he sat down at the right hand of the Father in the place of honor. His rule began at that, at, at that moment, and it's unfolding. So that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, is a present unfolding reality, whereas the classic dispensational view is that the kingdom of Jesus is a future and suddenly manifesting reality. In other words, the day before Jesus returns in the, in the dispensational model, the day before Jesus returns, the world is a basically being ruled and uh, run roughshod over by Satan, uh, that Satan is the god of this world and is getting his way pretty much in every place and every corner of the planet. And then the day after Jesus comes and sits down in the throne of David in Jerusalem, on that day, all of that will be over and Jesus' rule on earth will be basically emerge full-blown, fully mature, fully operational planet-wide. So, again... One of you, the kingdom, Jesus' rule, is present and unfolding. The other, it's primarily future and suddenly manifesting. So, let's look at the holistic witness of Scripture to see uh, what, the, what the Scriptures, the story that the Scriptures are telling us about the rule, uh, the rule of, uh, of Jesus Christ.
One of the things that's important to understand, and we're going to see this, and we continue to see it every time we open our Bibles, is that God seemingly, according to the witness of Scripture, seemingly works uh, His plans always unfold in three stages. And I call these the three stages, judicial, incremental, and then final and ultimate. That whenever God does something, and we're going to see this over and over in the Word, whenever God does something, the first thing He does is He makes it legal. He establishes the, the, the legal justification, the legal right to, to do this. It's, it's interesting that in the book of Revelation, when John, the first time John pulls back, gets the curtain pulled back, and he sees the throne room of heaven, all the terminology that is used there in that passage is courtroom terminology. That basically what John sees and what he sees described is a judge sitting on a throne. It is, it is courtroom imagery and courtroom uh, vocabulary. Everything God does, the first thing he does is he makes it judicially legal. Then it unfolds progressively. And then it ultimately becomes comes into fullness and maturity. Hey, uh, loads of good stuff up ahead, and your gateway to that yummy goodness is a just a little sidebar that we call page two. Hey, just real quickly here, I want to make you aware of a few other places where you can find my content online. One is my YouTube channel, where you'll find not only the video version of the podcast, but uh, other short-form content as well. And if you prefer the written word, as I do, you'll want to check out my blog over at davidaholland.com. I've been writing there since 2007. That's right. You'll find 16-plus years' worth of gold over there. That's davidaholland.com. Got to get that A in there. So go check it out. And while you're there, leave an email address so I can alert you when I have new stuff coming out or a special event you may want to know about. Now, back to your regularly scheduled program. There's another way to describe that. Everything God does is first definitive, then progressive, and then consummative. He defines it. He says, this is what's true. This is what's right. This is what I say is. Then it progressively moves toward that, what he has declared, what he has said. And then ultimately it reaches a point of, of cons- consummation. We see this in salvation. It's interesting in the New Testament. Some, some New Testament scriptures about salvation talk about salvation in the, in the past tense. I, I have been saved. I was saved. I'm, I'm saved in this moment. And yet other, other scriptures talk about salvation as if it's an unfolding thing. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then other scriptures talk about it as if it's a future thing. That at, at that moment, I, you know, cor- incorruptibility... Corruptibility will put on incorruptibility, and I will be saved. So the language of the New Testament is about salvation is that you were saved, you are being saved, and there a day will come when you are saved. The, the, the legal def, def, you were saved definitively, legally, judicially, the moment your spirit was born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. That was a, that was a definitive salvation, and it became a legal thing that is also an inevitable for gone conclusion. Whom he foreknew, he has predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. And yet there's this unfolding sanctification that takes place. Righteousness is imputed to you the moment 
you are born again. And yet there's, there's, there's this process of sanctification that takes place, which you become more and more Christ-like through your journey with him. And then a day is going to come when you, you are going to be exactly like him because you're going to see him as he really is. So it's definitive, it's progressive, it's consummative, all, this, all at the same time. We see this over and over again in Scripture. For example, in Eden, what does God do? He basically brings order out of chaos. There's this chaotic tohu vabohu world, and the, the Spirit of God hovers over it, and then order comes out of it. And then God still takes this wild and untamed world, and he cultivates a little garden in the middle of it, and he puts man and woman inside that garden, inside that little cultivated piece of it, and he gives them some instructions. He says, cultivate it and keep it, and take dominion over this earth. I'm, I give you this earth, take dominion over it. Cultivate and keep the garden, take dominion over the earth. What's he saying? He's saying expand the boundaries of this cultivation. Here's what a cultivated piece of earth looks like. It's tended, it's gardened, it's weeded, it's cultivated, it's, there's order, it's trimmed, it's pruned. There's all this order here, and outside the boundaries of this walled place, there's life everywhere, but it's chaotic. So expand the boundaries of where order is. Take, be fruitful, multiply, expand the boundaries. Take, the, take this whole wor world progressively. We see it in Canaan when God brought the Israelites to the border, uh, the, to the Jordan River, to the border of the, border of the land of promise. He says, I give you this land. I give it to you. Just as he basically judicially gave Adam and Eve the earth, he judicially gave the Israelites this land. He said, it's yours. That was definitive. That was judicial. Then he said, okay, now cross over and go take it. And if you read Exodus 23, 29 through 30, you take it little by little is how God said that they were going to take the land of promise. We see it in uh, uh, David's story. It's, uh, I find it fascinating that there's, there's this moment when God tells Sam, Saul, uh, who's the king of, of Israel, through Samuel, you've, you've forfeited your right to, to the kingship. God has found another man after his own heart. Then, a little bit later, he goes and goes to Jesse's house and finds David, who's the youngest of all these brothers. He's out, uh, he's just a kid, out tending the flock, but he anoints him and says, okay, you're the new king of Israel. Judicially, definitively at that moment, Saul had forfeited the kingship. David was the new anointed by God king of Israel. It was definitive. It was judicial. And yet, there is, based on a rough estimation of the timelines in First and Second Samuel, there's maybe a 23 to 33-year period from that time until David takes the throne in Judea. In that period of time, he uh, becomes Saul's armor bearer. He learns some things. Uh, Saul ends up forfeiting the kingdom. David begins to gather people in Israel to himself. There's this progressive gathering of a following. But it takes years from the time David is judicially anointed king of Israel till the time it's consummated. But there's this progressive growth into kingship until there was this, this time of consummation where it becomes ultimate. Isaiah's messianic prophet, prophecy in Isaiah, 
uh, 9-7, he looks through history and he foresees the coming of Jesus. And he says, the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name should be called Wonderful Counselor. And then the government shall be upon his shoulders. And of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. In other words, what Isaiah foresees is a king who becomes a king and then his government begins to increase and it's always increasing. It's this ever-expanding government. We see it in Ezekiel's image of, of uh, his vision of the temple in Ezekiel chapter 47. Ezekiel sees a trickle of water coming out from under the altar and uh, it comes out from the, to the south side uh, of, the, uh, of the temple, which is facing east, but it's just a little trickle trickle of water coming out from under the uh, the temple but then he takes a, a rod and measures it and when he measures out a thousand cubits by the time he gets out a thousand cubits away from the temple that trickle is now ankle deep then he measures another thousand cubits and then it's knee deep and then he measures another thousand cubits and it's chest deep and then he measures another thousand cubits and it's too deep for anyone to swim in and all of a sudden, trees are growing up on it. Uh, it's become a, a, a mighty river that's making certain parts of, it's, it's making the desert bloom. It's making salty, brackish water fresh. And trees are growing on the side of this fresh water. And that, those trees bear fruit every month. And in its leaves are healing for the nations. So what Ezekiel sees is something that happens when a new kind of temple uh, gets established and is, begins to be built in the earth. And out from under that altar, uh, water begins. But the farther along you get, the farther away you get from that, the deeper the water gets. Progressive. Uh, Daniel has a vision in, in chapter 2. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a vision, actually, and Daniel interprets it. Uh, and there's a whole lot of implications of that vision. But in, in it, he basically sees four kingdoms that are going to come. All the prophetic imagery in Daniel is a pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ. It's coming to his, the arrival of the prophesied Messiah to the earth. And this, this uh, vision that Nebuchadnezzar has is that where he sees a head of gold and a chest of silver and legs of bronze uh, or, and the feet of clay and iron. And uh, Daniel interprets that as being four kingdoms. But in the king's vision, in Nebuchadnezzar's vision that Daniel interprets, he sees a stone at the, at the end, and, and, and Daniel says in, in verse 44, in 34 he interprets it, in 44 he interprets the interpretation. And I'll send you guys all these notes so you can look up all these scriptures for yourself. But basically says in the, in, Daniel says, in the days of those kings, and that's that fourth kingdom, the, king, the Romans, especially that, that part of the Roman Empire, the Roman uh, uh, Empire's reign, in the days of those kings, there's going to be cut out a stone without hands. And that stone is going to hit that statue that, uh, on the feet, and it's going to shatter it. And that stone is going to grow into a mountain, that, and that mountain's going to grow until it fills the whole earth. So in Daniel's prophecy, what he's seeing, he's pointing to the time where Jesus is the stone. He's the stone that the builders rejected. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. In, in the days of those, the Roman Empire, that fourth kingdom, in those days, God's going to basically bring the stone that the builders rejected. And he's, he's a stone that's cut without hands. In other words, he, he's not coming through human agency. And he's going to hit that that kingdom and it's going to shatter and hit that stone is going to grow and grow until it becomes a mountain and that mountain is going to fill the whole earth. We see it over and over again 
in Scripture. There's this definitiveness, it's declared, it progressively grows, and then it's consummated. Jesus, in chapter 28, uh, one of his final conversations with his disciples, says, all, of, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Go ye therefore into all the earth, making disciples, teaching them to do everything I, I've taught you. There's kingship. There's authority there. Go ye, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You therefore go into all the earth. Then in his final conversation with them, we see it in Acts 1.8. His final commission says, you know, wait, tarry in Jerusalem. You shall receive power. This is a key word. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the other parts of the earth. Again, there's... Um, Power is a key word there, and then there's this progressivity about Jesus' command. First Jerusalem, then Judea, broader Samaria. There's concentric rings or circles moving out uh, from that command. Well, I think I've given you all you can handle for one outing, and the only thing left to do here is um, page three. Have you connected with me on social media yet? What, precisely, are you waiting for? You'll find links to all my brilliant social media manifestations on my about page at davidaholland.com. Well, that's it for this outing. Until next time, please remember, God is better than you think, and you're more loved than you know.